Thank you. That was a blessing. We'll be looking at Proverbs for a few moments today. We're going to jump all around the place. Uh, Hayden Robinson said he preaches topicals once in a while and then asks God to forgive him. But uh, there are times that we do this, and it's certainly good. And uh, thank God for our fathers, and uh, thank God for our sons. I have four sons, and I, I know they're all in church today, and that's a blessing to me. Uh, in fact, it's, it's great, uh, the accountability I have two ways now. My sons are old enough to say, Dad, you're wrong, you know? And that's, that's, it's great to have that relationship. Um, you heard about the twin boys, five years old, came in on Father's Day covered in paint, and their dad said, what in the world are you doing? They said, we thought because we didn't have anything for Father's Day, we'd paint your car. So... <laughs> In the 70s, there was an organization called NON. It was the National Organization of Non-Parents, believe it or not. Uh, they say children ruin their lives. And they, according to their statistics, probably true, 70% of people are sorry they have children, and a third of parents don't want children. We are a selfish society. It's all about me. You know, children require a lot of work. We pour our lives into them, and that's hard to do. But if you do that and you're in obedience to the Lord, you're always thankful when they grow up and you see them mature and love the Lord. And so it is a blessing to rear children. Scripture says they're a heritage. And that same Hebrew word is translated several ways in your Bible. One of them is a valuable possession. They're a valuable possession. The greatest asset I'll leave behind in this world is not my automobile or my home. It's my children because they'll carry on my name. And hopefully that name will carry on well. I'm sure they'll make mistakes. As a parent, you, you don't understand sometimes. I've had so many parents say, you know, why is my one child out of three in trouble all the time and the others aren't? We raised them the same way. And, and I don't understand that. And I can't excuse the behavior because children make decisions. And young men make decisions, and sometimes they're terrible decisions. And sometimes we don't understand. I've, I've had friends that several of their children are in trouble. And I don't ever think in my mind that I was a better parent than them. I don't understand why, uh, you know, I'm blessed. And, 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 and all my kids will, will go through life without mistakes. I can assure you of that. Maybe someday you'll hear, even after I'm gone, about one of my kids getting in trouble. We, we understand one thing, and that is that we don't understand why. We don't understand. I have two friends right now, Christian friends, whose kids are in prison. Kids are in prison, and they're Christian people, and, and I believe they were probably every bit of a good as a Christian or a father as I was, so I can't go down that road. The moment you think that, you're in trouble. Uh, I know one famous preacher wrote a book on how to rear teenagers, and all five of us kids went amok. And so we don't understand all those things, but we do know the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6 will be our text in a moment. The Bible says, children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. That word glory is a word meaning honor or beautiful. It's like an ornament you wear around your neck. And when your kids do right, 
it just gives you all kinds of peace and joy. And when they do wrong, you want to just crawl in a hole and hide. Uh, I remember as a Bible professor, I've told you so many stories. And three times I was called to the principal's office for my one son, my middle child. And he had done some things to get in trouble. And now he's a teacher with four kids and he's a deacon. So figure that all out. I don't know. But I remember how frustrated I was teaching a seminary class, getting a call, and had to walk over campus from one side to the other to go and find out, you know, what my son did. It was always something to make people laugh. And this one time he said, Dad, it wasn't that bad because Mr. Hill, the science teacher, was laughing, Dad. I could see that he was laughing behind his book. He held it in front of his face. And I said, son, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is you disrupt the class. And uh, so he's grown up now. Thank God for that. But we know that it's a challenge to be a father. It's a challenge to be a father. Proverbs 17, 6 is what we're going to read. If you have that, we, I've already quoted it. Uh, stand with me. I know it's a tradition here. And the Bible says here, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. It's a two-way street. You can be proud of your dad, and you can be proud of your son or your daughter. And certainly it's very important to have a two-way street, isn't it? I know people who are embarrassed by their parents' behavior. One kid said to me, my dad's a drunk. Another said their mother's a drug addict. And I hear that. It's kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? And so we have a two-way responsibility. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Help me to say exactly what you'd have me to say. Just control my thoughts. And Lord, just help me to be able to just share from my heart and from the Word of God with the folks here today. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Bible says plenty to the fathers. Proverbs chapter 23, 24. Hey, we got it working today. Uh, it says, the father uh, of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. What a great verse. And so we know in 1721 as well, it says here in 1720, he that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. So, I mean, it's very obvious that children are, are vitally important in our lives. I know there were times I've embarrassed my dad, but I can say this, I don't know that my dad ever embarrassed me. And uh, we'll talk about dad a little bit today, but uh, I'm thankful for a Christian father. Um, and to, to the dads, we say that, and to the children, we have to say you're, you were promised long life and spiritual wellness if you honor your mother and father. That's the first commandment with, that was given with a promise attached, wasn't it? And we know that in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, we find it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's that promise? The promise is wellness, the Bible says. Wellness. And that doesn't mean that you're always going to be healthy, but if you obey your parents, God's going to bless your life in one way or another. And so we're thankful for that promise. Uh, you heard the scripture says in 1725, we'll have two more on the screen and then we'll go to the rest. It says, the foolish son is a grief to his father. And then it says in 2824, many rob their parents. So many kids think, you know, I got a mom and dad better leave me a big inheritance. 
or mom and dad better, uh, you know, have some money. I need some money. And some steal from their parents and take advantage of their parents financially. I heard a cute little joke that little girl ran up to her grandmother and said, Nanny, could you croak like a frog? She said, croak like a frog? She says, yeah, mom and dad say, when you croak, we'll go to Disney World. <laughs> and isn't that the mentality of today, you know? Do you know back in Bible times, there was a rabbi who taught Kobe, and I think is the word of the teaching, that uh, if you give your parents a big offering at one point in time, you can wash their hands of them for the rest of their life. And Jesus actually came along and rebuked that teaching and said we have a responsibility to take care of our parents. Today it's, it's the reverse. Kids are all wanting the assets. And, and there's so much going on today that's disappointing. But, you know, our Heavenly Father sets a perfect example, doesn't he? Because he's a perfect father. Several things Scripture teaches us about our Father. First of all, uh, we know that he tunes us out when we have sin in our life. I had a neighbor, his dad, uh, his, his dad uh, uh, passed drugs on to me. He's dead now, so I can tell you that. And, and uh, he was not a good person. He was a bad influence for me as a teenager. And the boy I witnessed to a lot when I got right with the Lord and talked to him a lot. And he said, I'll never believe in God. He said, because my grandfather had cancer. And I prayed and prayed and prayed for my grandfather during cancer and he suffered and he died. And I was just a young enough believer to know John 9, 31 says, we know God heareth not sinners. And it was hard for me to try to explain to him that if you don't know God, he doesn't know you, your prayers are meaningless. And for the believer who has unconfessed sin in his life, we know that's the same, right? He doesn't hear us. What does he say in Isaiah, or in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, You'll not hear me. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. God's ear is not that it cannot hear, but you have sin in your life, and I'm paraphrasing, and he will not hear your prayers. And so one thing we know is God tunes us out when we're in sin. He doesn't hear us until we admit what we've done is wrong. And then we know God chastens us. Hebrews chapter 12 as we're going through Acts, normally we'll be back in Acts next week, and then I have a warning for you on the 2nd of July. I'm going to be uh, giving you some fireworks in here because my pastor never, ever got into politics, but I'm so frustrated with what went on at the White House last week that it's just killing me, and I'm going to warn you I'm going to say some things, you know, and you know what happened. If not, read the news, but we, we, that'll be our 4th of July celebration in the auditorium. But... Uh, we, we, we are going to be back in Acts. But, you know, here, here's a passage that we have to recognize as Christians that God chastens his own. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, chasteneth. Did you know that when you have sin in your life and you're ignoring God and living your own selfish life, God will chasten you. Your heavenly Father will. And he says in Hebrews 12, he says, you know, you haven't, I'm paraphrasing, you haven't tried that hard not to sin in verse 4. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son he receiveth. And he talks about enduring chasing. And he talks about the fact that it's not 
easy to be chastened of God. It'll be grievous. He knows what you love. He knows how to get to your heart. He knows how to get your attention. And as a believer, the Bible said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul goes on to say under the inspiration of God, God forbid. And that means God will not allow it to come to pass. He takes us and he chastens us. So I suggest that you confess your sin every day or, or you can go over the knee of God and get a spanking. And we all know what that's like. And if you didn't have a spanking, shame on your daddy and your mother. And, uh, it, you know, we understand the need for discipline. So God, our Heavenly Father, and it says here, we had earthly fathers that chasten us. We have to understand our Heavenly Father will also chasten us. He does not allow us to just do what we want to do on a continual basis. And I thought about this as well. We're going to go to Psalm chapter 103. Uh, Psalm chapter 103. And I love, I love what this says, and you'll want to mark your Bibles here, but, you know, God demands obedience from us, but yet he still provides for us. You know, the righteous never beg for bread. We, we don't have to do that. We know God meets our needs. doesn't give us everything we want. He doesn't let us consume things upon our lust, but he certainly meets our needs and provides for us in spite of what we do. But I love the fact that he pities us. I mean, what will we do without God's pity? In the Psalm 103, we know verse 12, you know, as far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that great? Look what it says. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Isn't that great? I love it that he has compassion. Over in Lamentations, this same Hebrew word is translated compassions. It says, and this is a great passage. I referenced it a few weeks ago, and I told you I'd be back here. So we're revisiting Lamentations chapter 3. But we, we understand this word pity is translated several ways, and here it's translated compassions. And one of our great hymns came from these verses. It says here, it is of the Lord's mercies, and that, that's a great word that I wasn't going to talk about, but it just came back to mind. It's the only one of two Hebrew words I actually pronounce correctly. It's the word chesed, and that's that love that won't let go. And it says here, it is of the Lord's mercies, that's the word, that we are not consumed. And here's the next word, because his compassions, translated pity here, compassions, fail not. I love that about God. And as fathers, we have to learn to be compassionate because we, we are quick when we're upset to whip our kids. And we need to discipline our children. I understand that. But how many times do we discipline our children in anger? And some fathers are too hard with their kids. So while we need to discipline them, we need to encourage them a lot. And there's times we need to show pity and compassion. Yeah. Sometimes a kid does wrong and he's broken. You can see he's broken. He feels terrible. And at that time, it's just good to just be compassionate, to show some pity. But if they haven't learned their lesson and they have an attitude, obviously they need discipline. But my dad, I thought, did a pretty good job balancing it out. There are times I did stuff. I hurt myself. My dad didn't have to discipline me. But this next verse is a great hymn. You know that. They are renewed every morning. And what is this next line? 
Great is thy faithfulness. Our God is faithful. Moreover, brethren, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is big to God. And so here we understand God is compassionate and he pities us. He doesn't just slam us every time we make a mistake. And parents don't need to always slam their children. You need to love them, hug them, and spend quality time with them. I was thinking about Jacob, and in Genesis 49, he, he prophesied as to what all 12 of his children would do and be. You know, Abraham's the father of the Hebrew nation, but Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes. And uh, when you study the children of Jacob, there's so much there to learn. And I think about Leah, and Leah really was the one he was supposed to marry. Marry. It's obvious because God, in a sovereign way, allowed, you know, uh, deception and all that, how, how that story happened. You're, you're like shocked, but notice that his children, think about Levi and the Levites, so important to the temple. But think about this Judah was a child of Levi, not Rachel. And you see, that's the lineage of Jesus Christ. And he was looking to marry the, the best looking gal. But Leah ended up being a pretty good wife. I mean, he had six children with her. So there's something that drew his attention to her tent, okay? And uh, Rachel, he had just two children. I know he loved Rachel more, but think about these 12. I think of his prophecy in Genesis 49. He said, Asher would become rich working by the sea. And he said, Naphtali would be swift as a deer. Zebulun worked uh, with merchants, he, he said, and Benjamin would be cruel and wolf-like, um, and he, he was, and we study the, the fulfillment of these prophecies in these guys' lives, and we see plenty of sin. Benjamin was, of course, his baby by his favorite wife, and he ended up being cruel, and we know some famous descendants of Benjamin, Saul and Paul, Saul of the Old Testament and Paul, both of Benjamin. Danzen omitted and they say because of his, his uh, idol worship, but, you know, the Scripture doesn't say that. We presume that. And then Judah, of course, the lion's whelp, whose name means praise, was, of course, the lineage of Jesus Christ, a prophetic success. But I think about six other ones, and I actually uh, kind of made a little outline for six other ones that I put a little time into. I couldn't study all 12 like this, but Simeon and Levi were certainly carnal Christians. You know, self-willed, full of revenge, double-dealing. They probably learned that from Jacob, the deceiver, you know. And we, we do learn from our dad sometimes the bad and the good, don't we? Uh, we're, we're a lot like dad when we do the wrong or the right. Um, but we know the Levites were supposed to be dedicated to the temple and eventually were. But did you know that you're a priest with God in Christ? And we should be dedicated to the Lord because he's made us priests. And so we know Levi was a priest. Issachar, I call him a compromising Christian. He saw what the world had to offer. Jacob said it would happen, and he went the worldly way. Reuben, I call him a capsized Christian because the Bible says he was un as unstable as water. He lost his position because of a relationship with a woman. Gad, a collapsing Christian. He would be overcome, said Jacob, and he certainly was. Joseph... We would, we would call him a consecrated Christian, a fruitful bow whose branches would grow. And he proved Jacob right as he was utilized of God, used of God in a pit, 
in Potiphar's house, in prison, and finally in the palace. What a great story of providence and God's providence and God's hand on him. But notice chapter 45 and verse 8. In chapter 45 of Genesis and verse 8. Chapter 45 and verse 8. I love this because... I have a friend, and you all do as well, that had a grandchild out of wedlock, and it just really, really bothered them. And, and I understand that. It's sinful. We understand that. But I want to talk about the flip side of that. Because look at 45 and verse 8, and I love Joseph's attitude. Here's a man of God. He says to his brothers, and this story is my favorite Bible story. I really like to tell the whole thing right now. We just don't have time. But isn't it awesome how he had them seated by their age and they're all shocked. They don't recognize me speaking Egyptian. He's head shaved. He looks like an Egyptian. They can't figure out what is going on, but they're starting to realize they've reaped what they've sown. And I mean, there, and they find out it's him. And the fear is overwhelming. But here's what a man of God does. He doesn't say, now it's your time. Now it's payback. He didn't say that. My father-in-law, we were in Puerto Rico one summer. I was there for summer missions, and he was a pastor of a military church, and he had two assistant pastors, and they were mad at each other, and so he had to kind of settle it, and he had me learning. I was standing behind him thinking, oh, brother, I hope I never have guys like this. And when one walked away, the other guy said to my father-in-law, I'll get even with him. You've said it, and I've said it, okay? We thought it. We thought it anyway. But look at, look at Joseph's attitude he says here in verse 8, these guys no doubt are afraid. And uh, he said in the last part of verse 5, God did send me before you to preserve life. He said uh, in uh, verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve you in prosperity in, in the earth and to save your lives. Verse 8, love this. And now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. So when I had a troubled parent, grandparents say to me, and just, you know, I'm just so embarrassed and I'm hurt, I, I had to show them this verse. You know, every person born into a Christian family, and, and we could say all people born God's aware of, but God has his sovereign hand in that. And some of you probably could say, I was as a child born out of wedlock, here I am today. Every child is special to God. Isn't that something? God knows all about it. And how many people do we know that are either in ministry or successful today who were born out of a situation like that? You know, God's providence still reigns. I mean, he's still sovereign. That's what I love about God. And whether you've been there and done that or not, you're special to God. God has a plan for your life. Don't you love that? That Joseph's attitude towards his brethren was not, well, you guys threw me in that pit. And you, you, you thought, you know, you had done away with me and you figured I'd die. You didn't have the heart to kill me. Thank God for that. But you discarded me. But God had a plan. Yeah, Do you know God has a plan? If you're here today, God has a plan. I love that. There's no accidents with God's kids. There's no accidents with God's kids. 
I want to just mention nine things today. I think of the fruit of the Spirit, and I wrote down nine things. Just bear with me. If you want to make your kids cowards, just overprotect them, fight their battles, and baby them. If you want to make them discouraged, don't allow them to be kids and never reward them. So we could reverse that and say, if you want to make them courageous, don't overprotect them. If you, if you want to make them, if you want to encourage them, you know, allow them to be kids. Allow them to make some mistakes. Third I have here, how to make them feel unsuccessful. Push them and push them and push them in academic sports, beauty, and drama. And you know what? They'll never measure up. Because you pushing them so hard will give them insecurity. And many parents say, well, I pushed my child. I've, we've seen on the news before, I think there's one little girl, I think of her parents had her in every beauty pageant from when she's like five, she's in beauty pageants. She's a teenager, she's traveling all over the country for beauty pageants. Today she's dead, but I, I think of so many stories of parents who push their kids and push their kids and push them too much. And their kids couldn't measure up. You don't want to do that either. They won't measure up. How to make them feel unimportant, just ignore them. Don't listen to them. Don't ever make eye contact with them. Just blow them off. And you'll make them feel very unimportant. How to make them insecure? Fight in their presence. The worst thing parents can do is fight in the presence of their kids. Creates great insecurity. They think you're gonna divorce, and you're not gonna divorce maybe, but constant fighting in front of the kids is just unhealthy. Or compare them to a more successful child. I wish you'd be like your brother or your sister, you know. My mom and dad actually, as a middle child, they could have compared me to all six and said, I wish you were like them in this way because I was kind of that middle child. I was a rabble rouser. Um, and yet, uh, you know, my dad saw potential in me and my pastor did as well. And, and so I thank God for their, their patience with me. How to make them feel empty? Neglect their emotional needs. Don't ever touch them. Don't ever hug them. And don't ever sacrifice for them. And I, I could have said that the other way. Touch your kids. I, I don't know where I heard this, but you've heard me say it since, probably last Father's Day. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who said this, but if, if you don't hug your daughter's men, some jerk's going to. Because your daughter's going to desire touch and affection. She's going to want her emotional need met. Touch your daughters. It's not too late to start. And, and, and so I think that's something we need to hear. And, and some of this, it's quiet in here because some of you are saying, I, I failed on that one or I failed on that one. I failed in all of them as well. There's no doubt I've made so many mistakes. And uh, my kids respect something that I did in life is I would always apologize and say, you know, I messed up. Forgive me. And if you didn't do any of these things, say to your children that you're sorry you didn't meet their needs. How do they make them fail? Just blame others for their mistakes, make excuses for their poor behavior, and certainly you don't want to discipline them. Now, the Bible says that's child abuse. I mean, the world says that's child abuse. The Bible says it's necessary. You ever been in a store and someone has a two-year-old or a one-year-old? We always pick on the two-year-olds. 18-month-year-old. 
and they're just ridiculous. And you just would like to say, could I take your child to the restroom for a minute and just spend some quality time with them? Oh, my word, you just want to whip the daylights out of them. And let me tell you something. If, if you don't do that, that child is going to make you look foolish in life because they'll do that later and later and always have to have their way. How to make them feel loved or resent, or how, how to make them resentful? Be overly strict and punish them excessively. You see, there's a balance, isn't there? You had a girl in, uh, I, I got to be careful because some may listen to the broadcast. I knew of a person one time whose parents made her wear so many clothes, excessively long and loose on everything, she always looked kind of strange. The moment she turned 18, she got out of that house. Couldn't stand her mother. And I won't tell you about the rest of her life. But you gotta love your children. Sometimes love means discipline. And other times, give them a little breathing room. If you're excessively strict with your children, and never say this. This is, this is something I'm glad my dad never said. He may have said it once or twice but he didn't say it very often. You do it because I told you so. <laughs> That's not parenting. That's intimidation. Sometimes you need to explain to your children why something is dangerous or wrong. That requires patience and time. You got to sit down and look at them and explain it to them. You see, just saying I told you so, that's not quality leadership. That's poor leadership. Did you hear me? Leadership is not just having a title. Leadership is leading by example. You know, if, I, if I'm going to be a successful pastor for you, I've got to be a good example, and I've got to love you and be a good example. Just barking off orders is not pastoring. That's not shepherding. That's lording. And as a parent, it's the same thing. Just always ordering everyone around is not leadership. Amen? Amen? Be a shepherd in the home where you have those little sheep. And that's what God blesses. And of course, if you want them to ignore God, just when you drive home from church, just tell them, don't pay any attention to what that preacher says. You know, yesterday, I was at a prayer breakfast. You know, I talked about my mistakes. I was talking about hollering at my kids too much and said I raised my voice too much and I tailgated to my, you know, I hung my long list of things that I did wrong. And a guy come up to me in the park, parking lot. And he said, I, I, you know, I just want you to know, I, I, I think you're too hard on yourself. I, I think hollering at your kids is good sometimes. And I hollered at my kids sometimes. And I really put them on the spot, you know. But I'm not saying that we all don't have times when we raise our voice. But if you're always yelling at your kids, you know, and, and they learn to tune that out, then when they're about to run in the road and you've yelled at them all day long, and you let, yell at them to stop because the car's coming, they're used to, turn, to tuning your anger out. And, and so it can become dangerous to just Learn to, 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 to teach your children. Teach your children that when you say something, you mean it no matter what your tone of voice is. 
And then when you say it in a normal tone, your children will learn to stop and listen. Yelling at them doesn't help them. You say, preacher, you know, I do all those things wrong. And I understand that. We all do. But I think of my dad probably made every mistake a dad could make, but he made up for it. Trout fishing in either the Little Mackinac River or, uh, or Pine, the Pine River. And I remember going fishing with him and, and, and we would eat the trout that night, you know, fry, fry them in a pan of butter and, and he brought some other food and we'd sleep in a station wagon together. And that wasn't the most fun for me to sleep next to my dad in a station wagon. He snored and he was a big guy and, and it was just, you know, but the quality time there of fishing we had some great memories. I mean, his, he couldn't swim at all. His waders filled up with water one time, and he started hollering, and I had to run downstream to pull him out of the river. Another time, I had a pole. My uncle loaned me his fishing pole, and I fell asleep and dropped the pole into the river. My dad came up, you know, one of these deals, and he threw a big lure out and got the line and pulled it back in. I didn't even see where the line was, but so many of those stories. And, and the reason I mention that is because the quality time my dad spent with me caused me to overlook all his faults. And he didn't have a lot of faults. Like I said, he's a deacon, a faithful man of God, read the daily bread every day at our dinner table. But the mistakes he made, I can overlook them because the memories I have of my dad are hearing him when he's raking the yard and the Detroit Tigers, Ray Lane and Ernie Harwell on the radio, my dad loved baseball. He, he wanted to play pro ball and played for him, the Skegan team. Back then, they didn't have farm clubs. They were, they were farm clubs, but they, they were American Legion teams. And his partner got called up to uh, the White Sox. My dad got drafted into World War II. <laughs> or, and he always resented that. And he always said, I got shafted in life because I should have played professional ball. And my mom would remind him, you have seven wonderful children. He'd say, that's the point, and jokingly, you know. <laughs> and, but I remember those days, and I'll never forget one of my great memories. My dad, we drove to Detroit, and we got box seats, and we watched Denny McClain win his 30th game, and Willie Horton hit a home run in the eighth, and we went crazy. I'll never forget those times with dad. Dads aren't just, you know, the authority in the home. They're also sometimes the friend. Now, they can't always be the friend, can they? And they can't always discipline. Sometimes they just need to have the talk with us. But as dads, you have to spend quality time with the kids. And you say, well, my relationship with my son is broken. Or my relationship with my dad is broken. It's never too late to reconcile. Make the phone call today. Say, I love you. I'm sorry, I love you. But we think of our past. All of us have memories. And I don't know what stands out in your mind. But I know it stands out in mine. And I thank God for a dad who made us go to church. Sure. When I was a kid, we went to a Christian Reformed church. I didn't like going to church. My mom gave me a little article, little things she wrote. She asked me what I don't like. And I said, I don't like Sunday school, baths, and rutabaggies. <laughs> she kept that little piece of paper. Now I love them all. But a dad that led by example, you know, all of us today can be the parent we need to be. Being a dad is the highest calling in your life. Besides, I got to back up. Being a father, I mean, being a, being a husband is the highest calling after God. But 
Being a dad is a higher calling than, than, than making money and buying all the things you want. We're a selfish world. It used to be your life was all about rearing some kids, training them to live for God, and now it's about I want this and I want that. I don't know if my dad and mom would survive in this day and age without, because now they have to, would they provide cell phones? I don't know. They didn't provide us with much other than food. But you know, all the technology, all the things we give our kids, I'm not so sure that's healthy. You know, I remember not having many toys and going out and finding a branch and carving it into a machine gun, and I killed all the Germans behind our house. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that was a, those were good memories for me. And I just hope that today you can realize the importance of being a Christian father. And as you kids realize the importance of being a Christian son or daughter and making your parents proud instead of ashamed. There's a responsibility on both sides, right? I can't excuse my behavior when I did the wrong thing and say, well, my dad is the reason. That won't hold up in God's eyes. <laughs> and, and I realize with my kids, they'll make some mistakes. Who knows what the future holds? And I told the Lord, if one of my kids, I have 10 grandkids now, if one of them is you're going to get in bad trouble, just take me out of this world before it happens. Because I don't want to die of a broken heart. Hey, it's never too late to start being a good parent or being a good child. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for dad. And thank you for our Heavenly Father who sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for our sin. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's lost in sin and needs to be saved, that today they'll come forward and say, I want to be saved. And then we'll have someone take the Bible and show them the simple plan of salvation. And if folks don't realize that they're a sinner and lost without Jesus Christ, that you'll convict them today and maybe they'll come next week or maybe they'll call or maybe they'll search out the truth. Maybe they'll read the Gospel of John. I don't know, but I know your word's powerful. And I know today, uh, this is just a time where I just shared from my heart what your word has to say on being a father. And bless, Lord, help us all to do better as parents. Bless now in Jesus' name.